Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Today we wrap up our preaching series that we've titled The Trellis. And what we've been doing over the last 12 or so weeks is we've been looking at the different spiritual disciplines or practices, if you prefer that language. And what we're doing today is we're going to wrap up that series by taking a look at all the different spiritual disciplines and practices and considering how do we implement these disciplines or practices into the rhythms and structure and routine of our daily lives. And so hopefully today we're going to get really practical as we dive into the Word and ask the Lord to reveal to us how does He want us now to live out our lives in the structure and the rhythms of not just a once-off event, but rather the day-to-day stuff of everyday life. How do I take what I've learned over the last couple of weeks and implement it in a very practical, real way so that my heart can be shaped and formed into the direction of Jesus? And so if you've got your Bibles, you can jump to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this morning, I'm going to take a look at the message translation, simply because I think it gives us a beautiful insight into what this passage is trying to say. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to the culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I love that passage. Fix your attention on God and you will be changed from the inside out. And it goes on to say, God brings the best out of you. God brings the best out of you. So how do you wake up in the morning? Maybe it looks like, you know, 6.09, my alarm's blaring, I've overslept again. I've missed the alarm or I've hit snooze, I've fallen asleep, and now we're in a rush. We jump out of bed, it's like, oh my goodness, I've stayed up too late, watched the Lakers win yet another game, and now I'm in in a hurry, I'm tired. I reach for my phone on the bedside table and I just start to scroll. Okay, enough, get out of bed, we jump out, I'm really late now, wake the kids up, the dog's barking, get breakfast, we hurry out the door to noise and chaos. Does any of this hypothetical scenario sound remotely familiar to you? Or worse, maybe even normal? Well, if it does, don't worry, you're not alone. This is how the vast majority of modern people begin their day. About 87% of people sleep next to their cell phones, and most check them within 15 minutes of waking up. One in four people have literally slept with their devices in their hands. Once we're out of bed, we go searching for the next fix. The the average person touches their smartphone, get this, 2,617 times a day, and the number is twice that for the most extreme users. 
We hurry through our day, constantly reaching for the digital appendage, looking for our devices to calm our anxiety, to focus our mind, or to give us that fleeting feeling of connection or happiness. Yet any objective observer of our lives will notice that we're just chasing on the hamster wheel, always running away from our fears towards our desires, but never really coming to true peace or never really coming to God. As one writer puts it, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We're so used to a life of hurry and digital distraction and soul-numbing busyness that we just assume now in 2023 that it's normal. But it's not. It's actually horrible. What if there was another way? Another way to live? What if there was not just an, a, a, another way to, to, to consider how we spend our days, but another way to live life differently with Jesus? Uh, Annie Dillard says, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do with this hour and that one is what we are doing. A schedule defends from chaos and whim. It is a peace and a haven set into the wreck of time. It is a lifeboat on which you find yourself decades later still living. One of the I was doing an exercise class a, a few weeks ago, and the instructor, this online instructor that I was following and kind of getting into my, uh, trying to get into, prepare my body for the Thanksgiving feast and for Christmas time and all of the goodness and food that that involves, the instructor said this, and I thought, man, I'm going to use this in a preach. He said, we can waste our time, we can spend our time, or we can invest our time. How good is that? We can waste our time, spend our time, or rather invest our time. And as disciples of Jesus or apprentices of Jesus, we are invited to invest our time organizing ourselves around three driving goals. Firstly, to be with Jesus. Secondly, to become like Jesus. And thirdly, to do the very things that Jesus did. And while this is not a three-step formula, there is a natural progression that takes place. Firstly, the more time you spend with Jesus, you, le you lead on to become more transformed, to become like him. And the more we become like him, the more we find ourselves naturally saying and doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. And all of this is encompassed in a lifelong journey of spiritual formation. And while no two spiritual journeys are identical, all of them start by saying yes to the very same invitation that Jesus gives us, which is come and follow me. And when we say yes to the invitation of Jesus, what we're saying yes to is a life of intentional effort found within the ordinary day-to-day -day stuff of everyday life. We say yes to be with Jesus who promises us that he is with us always. Now, we need to learn how do we live out our lives, how do we spend our day, how do we learn to be with Jesus, not in the silence or the order or the structure of a monastery, but in the noise and the chaos of everyday life, as I'm rushing out the door, or better yet, as I'm not rushing out the door because I've intentionally structured out my day. We need to learn how to practice the presence of God, to borrow Brother Lawrence's language, in the environment of smartphone alerts and Wi-Fi and traffic and noise and school drop-offs and project deadlines. 
We must learn how to be with Jesus inside the contours of the everyday life, not an idealized version of the life we wish we had or the life we used to have or the life we desire to have, but within the confines of the life that we actually have. How do I be with Jesus as a mom or a dad, a husband, sister, graphic designer, accountant, entrepreneur, or a student? You see, the aim of a disciple of Jesus is to arrange our everyday, ordinary life so we are experiencing real joy, peace, and love in God's presence all day long. And so this means that we need to live differently. As disciples of Jesus, we are called and invited to live consecrated lives, to live differently to the way the rest of the world lives. St. Benedict, in his rule of life, says that we, or our way of acting, should be different than the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Let's consider the passage we read as we opened up this message. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'll read it again. So here's what I want you to do, the Apostle Paul writes, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognize what He wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7, we read, Consecrate yourselves and be holy. This invitation to live differently. You see, to consecrate, and within the context of as a disciple of Jesus, to consecrate means to set something apart in dedication for God's special purposes. In the Bible, we see anything and everything can in fact be consecrated or set apart, whether it be people or animals, physical places, buildings, clothing, a period of time, and even food. A few examples of this. In the beginning, God set apart the seventh day of the week as a day day of rest, a holy day. In Exodus, the consecration finds a whole new level as God asks the Israelites to set apart their firstborn children and their livestock. And later on Mount Sinai, Moses commanded the Israelites to consecrate themselves. They washed their clothes, they abstained from sexual intimacy, and on the third day, they waited for God's glory to ascend on Mount Sinai. Throughout the book of of Leviticus, God's people consecrated everything used in the sacred space of the tabernacle, from priests to the utensils, the altar, and even the incense. Jesus himself. Before stepping into his ministry, he gave up food for a 40-day fast as an act of setting himself apart as, as he consecrated himself for his ministry in the wilderness. But why? Why does God call for this level of dedication and devotion? Is this just to prove ourselves before him? Is it intended to appease maybe his needs or his anger? Well, obviously, no. Consecration is about isn't about appeasing the fickle demands of an overbearing deity. It's about making ourselves available to God so that He can make us holy and then set us apart for His good purposes. 
You see, consecration is a way that we, as human beings, can deliberately choose to give ourselves in love over to the lover of our souls. Consecration is, is uh, the best picture of consecration, rather, is that of a wedding. Consider a wedding. When two people come together to get married, uh, they give themselves over to each other in marriage. But what makes this event so special is that both people are choosing to set themselves apart for the other lover. When Caitlin and I, my wife, got married, we decided uh, to purposely limit ourselves from every other option for the sake of giving ourselves over to each other for the rest of our lives, a setting apartness. And so when we consecrate ourselves, God fills us with his best to transform our worst so that we can live life for his good purposes. We live differently. And I believe what the world needs now more than ever is men and women who are intentionally and deliberately choosing to set themselves apart for God. We need families who are set apart and consecrated to the Lord. We need dining room tables that are set apart for the Lord. We need businesses and schools consecrated towards the Lord. We need to set ourselves apart for God and for His good purposes in our life. The first task as we choose to consecrate ourselves is to set the intentions of our hearts. We must get in touch with our desire for Jesus and then we must choose and decide to spend our day, our everyday ordinary lives with him. We need to choose to take the necessary steps, even if it requires sacrifice. As the monkish saying goes, every choice has a thousand renunciations. Meaning to say yes to spending our day with Jesus is to actually say no to spending our days with all sorts of other people, activities, and habits. To repeat the theme from John Mark Homer's Practicing the Way, good intentions are not enough. We cannot just have good intentions to live with Jesus. We cannot just have good intentions to set ourselves apart. You know, a lot of people have a genuine desire in their hearts to be with Jesus, but they don't take the necessary steps and make the choices that will change their daily lives to see this desire to be with Jesus actually become a reality. Not because they're bad or we're bad, but because we're actually just too busy. We're distracted. We live in unordered lives. And so to combat this, we need a plan. We need a plan and a set of practices and relational rhythms, also known as a rule of life, to see our vision of being with Jesus become a reality in the day-to-day stuff of our life. So we need a plan. In the church and in the Christian tradition, this plan is called a rule of life. Now, it needs to be your rule, not mine. It can and it should be custom designed for your personality, your life stage, and your situation. So let's ask, what is a rule of life? In the book, The Vision and the Vow, Pete Gregg tells us that a rule of life is a set of principles and practices that we build into the rhythm of our daily lives, helping us to deepen our relationship with God and to serve Him more faithfully. If creeds are what we believe and Christ is why we believe, a rule is how we seek to live out faith, live out that faith, 
day to day as disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pete Gregg goes on to talk about how rules of life have brought personal transformation to people and how they can actually shape an entire community of people. He says that the disciplines which we build into the rhythm of our life help us to shed the old self and allow our new self in Christ to be formed. Ultimately, a rule should help you to love God more. Rich Velodis describes a rule of life as not a to-do list, it's a formation framework, a prayer document, a collection of spirit-empowered practices used for the purpose of discerning God's leading in a particular season of our lives. Pete Gazzera, he says that a rule of life is a call to order our entire life in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else. Nurturing a spiritual life of depth in our present-day culture will require thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. So, let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of the singular word rule? For many of us, that word rule has negative connotations. We are likely to think of rules as boundaries that forbid us from doing anything fun. But a rule of life is something completely different. It's something else altogether. A rule, or rather, than being a set of laws that forbid us to do certain things, a rule of life is a set of guidelines that support or enable us to do the things that we want and that we need to do. One monastic community defines it like this. They say, it serves as a framework for freedom, not as a set of rules that restrict us or deny life, but as a way of living out our vocation alone and together. A rule then is a means whereby under God, we take responsibility for the pattern of our spiritual lives. It is a measure rather than a law. The word rule has bad connotations for many, implying restrictions, limitations, and legalistic attitudes. But a rule is essentially about freedom. It helps us to stay centered, bringing perspective and clarity to the way of life to which God has called us. So a rule of life allows us to clarify our deepest values, our most important relationships, our most authentic hopes and dreams, and our most meaningful work and our highest priorities. A rule allows us to live with intention and purpose in the present moment. So the word rule It actually derives from the Latin word regular, which gives us the imagery of a trellis, which is why we got the name for this preaching series that we've titled The Trellis. So a rule is like a trellis, which offers support and guidance for a plant that helps it grow into a certain direction. So if you consider a trellis and a plant, if we just let a plant grow all by itself, it would kind of stay low to the ground, it would be directionless, and it would kind of grow haphazardly. There would still be growth, but it would be a bit haphazard. When we place a trellis near that plant, the plant will grow along the trellis, not only in a certain direction, but also producing better fruit. Now, a rule that would resemble a trellis is both descriptive and prescriptive. It's descriptive in that it articulates our intentions and identifies the ways in which we want to live. It's prescriptive in that when we fail to live up to these intentions, because we are human and we make mistakes, 
The rule or the trellis becomes prescriptive, showing us how we can return back to the path that we have set out for ourselves and recapture that original vision so we can stay close to the rule. It is not something fixed or rigid, but something that can and should be adapted to our present circumstances and shaped to fit our current needs and desires. And so a rule of life is an invitation to life in all its fullness, depending on God and listening attentively to his voice. And it's fulfilled within the simple routines and structures of our everyday life, bursting forth from a well-ordered heart and resulting in a well-ordered way. All of us, all of us, friends, have unwritten personal rules of life that we're following. Some with great clarity, most of us unknowingly. We all wake up at certain times. We get ready for our day in a particular way. We use our free time for an assortment of purposes and practice rhythms of work and hobbies, worship, vacations, and so on. There is already a rule of life in place in your life that you are following even today. And I believe that it's time that we give up our unwritten rules and we put purposefully and prayerfully write a rule of life or consider a rule of life that more closely matches the heartbeat of God and the invitation of Jesus in our life. See, when we fail to do so, we will live like a wild, untamed grapevine. We will produce some fruit, but we probably won't be able to produce the abundance of fruit that we're capable of. Instead, we become vulnerable to the things that threaten our spiritual vitality. However, when we are intentionally reflective and prayerfully attentive and responsive, we are like cultivated grapevines, growing on a trellis or a rule of life and cultivated towards maturity to become spiritually formed. Margaret Guthner says, a good rule can set us free to be our true and our best selves. So, how do we craft a rule of life? Well, there's actually no right way to do this, but there are, however, some best practices that we would be wise to incorporate at some level, no matter what our personality is or what life stage we find ourselves in. Things like prayer, Sabbath, going to church, regular rest, Bible reading, fasting, thanksgiving, generosity and celebration, all of which we've covered in the past weeks in this preaching series. And so you can go back and listen to those messages if you, that would be helpful for you. But there's really no one size fits all. What we've done is we've put together a bit of a handout, a, a practical tool that would hopefully be helpful for you in order to at least start the journey of what a spiritual uh, rule of life, what a spiritual rhythm and practice can look like within the day-to-day -day structure of your lives. You can check this out on our website and uh, there'll be a link there to download the PDF as well as we will email this out to you on Monday morning. So I would prayerfully consider building out your own rule of life by referencing this handout that will better be explained as you download the PDF. But there are five steps to consider when we build out a rule of life. Maybe take these five points into consideration as you consider what your own rule of life would look like. The five steps are simple, specific, sustainable, season, and support. First up, we've got to keep it simple. Do a few things well. 
Oftentimes, when we try to reorder our lives and consider best practice, we try and change everything all at once. That is not, and leads on to another point later, very sustainable. So let's try and keep it simple. Consider what is manageable and keep it simple. Secondly, be specific. Don't just say, I want to pray more. Be, rather say something like, I want to pray as a family for five minutes after dinner every night. You see, the more specific you can be, the better chance you have of actually following through and being able to do it. Thirdly, we need to make it sustainable. Consider what practices or rhythms can I put in place in the structure of my daily life that I'm actually going to be able to maintain over the long haul. Eugene Peterson beautifully describes our apprenticing to Jesus as a long obedience in the same direction. We can adapt and change and add and increase the rhythms as we become more mature and as they become part of the regular structure and rhythm of our lives, but start off in a sustainable way. Fourthly, consider your season. What life stage are you in? It's really important to know your season. You know, for me, I've got young kids, so having a beautiful, intimate devotional time before we rush out the door for school every morning, that's probably not going to be the the wisest uh, rhythm for me to implement. So consider, do you have young kids? Do you have older kids? How much space and margin do you have? Are you empty nesters or a student and you can maybe do things a bit differently or have more structure within your day? What does your life season look like? And fifthly, and I would argue this is the most important one, you need to look for support. Who relationally can you connect with that will help you with your rule? Who can walk with you in this journey of following Jesus? And this is where the importance of community comes in or the importance of the church. James Clear, in his excellent book called Atomic Habits, he says one of the most effective things you can do to better build out habits, or in our case, spiritual disciplines and practices and implementing a rule of life, is to join a culture where your desired behavior is normal behavior. New habits seem achievable when you see others doing them every day. If you are surrounded by fit people, you're more likely to consider working out as a common habit. If you're surrounded by jazz lovers, you're more likely to believe it's reasonable to play jazz every day. Your culture sets your expectation for what is normal. Surround yourself with people who have habits you want to have yourself and you'll rise together. I love that. We'll rise together. John Tyson, he goes on in the same vein to say, I'm basically convinced that without a shared rule of life, being part of a community, practicing the way of Jesus together, based on tangible practices, discipleship won't happen within the Western context. He goes on to say, radical individualism and consumerism are simply too overwhelming as seductive forces for individual Christians to resist. James Clear goes on to say, nothing sustains motivation better than belonging to a tribe. It transforms a personal quest into a shared one. Previously, you were on your own. Your identity was singular. You are a reader. You are a musician. You are an athlete. When you join a book club or a band or a cycle group, your identity becomes linked to those around you. Growth and change is no longer an individual pursuit. We are readers. We are musicians. We are cyclists. The shared identity begins to reinforce your personal identity. This is why remaining part of a group after achieving a goal is crucial to maintaining your your habits. It's friendship and community that embed a new identity and help behaviors last over the long run. 
Are you part of the local community? Are you pressing in and making yourself available to journey with other disciples of Jesus as we pursue Jesus together? So to close, here's what I want you to know. I believe that we've been involved in a conspiracy to rob us of a burning passion for Jesus in our lives and his vision and kingdom of heaven here on earth. I believe that we've become distracted and we're looking to the same things as the rest of the world, where Jesus' invitation is to come and follow him, not with the portion of our life, but with all of our life. And we've allowed the way of the world to infiltrate the way of Jesus and distract us from the life and passion that Jesus has available for us. I believe there's a conspiracy to rob us of a burning devotion for Jesus and we've settled for less than what Jesus wants for us now on earth as it is in heaven. We've settled for less than what God the Father actually offers us. We've relegated our discipleship to Jesus to a few monthly meetings, church on a Sunday if we feel like it, and then hope that we, our souls would be transformed and we would get in touch with the lover of our souls, Jesus himself. You may be sitting here thinking to yourself, wow, all this effort, this seems pretty intense. You know, I live a pretty good life. I'm a good person, go to church from time to time. Why do I have to be so intentional in my discipleship to Jesus? Isn't this just for kind of the extreme Christians amongst us? Why so much effort? I mean, my neighbor, Bob, you know, this guy, his life's a mess. He, he's, I'm so much more holy than Bob. I go to church, I pray from time to time. My mate Bob, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He's doing his own thing, living life on his own terms. I'm better than Bob. Isn't that enough? Let me ask you, friends, when did Bob become our standard? Isn't our standard to look at the life and the invitation of Jesus and to step into life and life in abundance? C.S. Lewis, he says, when we, sorry, rather, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Building out a rule of life is, is not about having a cute devotional life. This is not about us having really structured, well-formed lives. Yes, it is that. And yes, having a structure and a plan and being intentional in any area of life produces fruit and is helpful. So yes, it is about all of that. But it's not about just having a cute devotional life or being super intense maybe even boring. You know, let me tell you, I love my personal devotional times. I'm the guy that's locked away in his study with my leather, you know, goat skin bound, beautiful Bible, my light church candle burning and giving me those beautiful scents, sitting with my Lectio and listening to William Augusto ambient music as I'm praying and I'm with Jesus on my own and I'm contemplating and considering and being with Jesus. My devotional times are the cutest amongst us, let me tell you. But this is not only what it's about. It's not about being cute. It's not about being, you know, really well-structured. It's about passion. It's about maturity. It's about abundance. And it's about stepping into the invitation of Jesus, of living life to the full. It's about intentionality and power, 
a life of beauty, of awe, of impact and desire. I want to end by telling you a story. It's a story from a book titled The Sayings of the Desert Fathers. There's a conversation that takes place between two of the desert fathers. There's like this junior desert father. His name is Abelot. And then there's this OG kind of main uh, desert father. And his name is Joseph. And they're having this conversation. And Abelot says to Abba Joseph or Father Joseph, Abba, as far as I can, I say my little office, which is his daily prayers, his devotional times. I fast a little. I meditate. I live in peace. And as far as I can, I purify my thoughts. So just pause for a second. He's basically saying, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm doing my daily devos. I'm fasting every now and then. I'm working on peace. I'm resisting evil. And he's like, but what else is there? Surely there's got to be something else. Surely there's more to this than just what I'm doing. And here's what his mentor says. In answer to Abelot's question, Joseph, the, uh, the, the OG desert father, he, he stands up. He stretches his hands towards the heavens. And as he did so, it says that his fingers became like 10 lamps of fire. And he said to him, if you will, you can become all flame. He said, if you will, you can become all flame. Not like a burning node of devotional desire, but your whole life can be a flame of passion for God. If you want, he says to him, you can become all flame. Friends, that's a vision. We are invited not to a cute little life of small prayers and good living and peaceful devotional times. Putting together a rule of life is structuring our lives in such a way that we step into the invitation from the creator of the universe to partner with him to right the wrongs and the effects of sin in the world and to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we do this through the intentionality with a rule of life that we're practicing in the everyday stuff of being a mom or a dad or a student, bursting forth from a well-ordered heart that results in a well-ordered way so that we may abide in the vine and bear much fruit. This is what it's about. Being a disciple of Jesus is about living a life that is all flame. And it starts when we make intentional decisions and choices to structure out the daily rhythms and practices and routines of our everyday, ordinary life around the practices and principles of the life of Jesus. I want to end with a quote from Frederick Buechner. He says, One life on earth is all we get. Whether it is enough or not, the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and as beautifully as we can. And so friends, the invitation is to step into the abundant life that is on offer in the way of Jesus, to be with him, become like him, and do the very things that he did. And so if you're inspired today to maybe make some intentional choices to reorder and structure your life around the practices and principles in the ways of Jesus and jump onto our website, grab that PDF, and hopefully that can be a starting point where you invite the Holy Spirit as you prayerfully consider how can I structure out my day, my week, my month, my year, 
follow the principles and practices in the way of Jesus and allow the Spirit of God to shape and form my heart to become more like Him and do the very things that He did. I'm going to pray for us as we end our time together. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us all the courage, the discernment, and the wisdom to consider the day-to-day functions of our everyday life. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us make the intentional choices to reorder and structure our days around the ways of Jesus so that we can better be with him, that we can better become like him, and find ourselves doing the things that Jesus did. We thank you, Father in heaven, that you love us, that you pursue us, and that not only do you desire to rescue and save us, but you desire to be with us, to help us as we choose to live out the day-to-day stuff of everyday life with you, alongside you. May we have a revelation of what it means to be with you in greater measure. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us as we take the next steps forward in our spiritual journey. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.